Hey guys, this is Wise Guy Talks uh, coming to you with episode number four. I am the Wise Guy. Thanks for listening to us. In tonight's episode, we're going to have a discussion about race and what is the definition of race. Remember, there's a couple things you can do to make this show a little bit better. Give us comments, uh, any questions that you may have. We'd appreciate that. Follow us, like us, subscribe to us, hit the little bell on there that dings whenever we put up a new episode every Friday afternoon we do uh intend to upload new episodes if you have any ideas for episodes put them right down there in the comment section so thanks for listening let's take it away episode number four race nathan how you doing tonight brother very good really what's your definition of good well my health is good I had a great dinner. What'd you have? Fish. <laughs> I find that shocking. I love fish. And and did you cook it yourself? Nope. <laughs> so you have people cook it for I, you. I can cook. Yeah, sure you can. I can cook. <laughs> no it, doubt. It, it Boil just, water. I, I just don't have the time. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you like to have your fish cooked? Well done. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who does that? I can't do sushi. Sushi? I, I cannot eat anything that's raw. I'm making fun of him. And by the way, he's got thick skin. I have thick skin. If you don't have thick skin, you may want to turn us off right now. Yes. We do have fun. We kind of go back and forth a little banter. It makes it interesting. And uh, I, I find it comical the way you pronounce sushi. Say it again for me. Sushi. 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 Okay. Sounds very Japanese. Um, anyhow. So what we're going to talk about tonight is the definition of race. And what is your definition of race, Nathan? Well, my definition? Yes. Okay, well, the race is real. There's no denying that race isn't real. When you go to your doctor, he's going to ask about your race. When you take the census, they're going to ask about your race. So we know what race is. I don't think there's a person out there walking, you know, in the street, if you ask that person, what is race? He's going to tell you. Whether you're black, white, or Asian, that's their definition. But we know what it is. There are differences amongst human, you know, family. So I, I had this theory that I wanted to throw upon you. I know you're not going to expect this, but this conversation quickly is going to go to the dogs. Well, that's what I want to get to the bottom of it, because the number one problem in America is racism. But how do you... How do you end or fight racism if you can't define what race is? Right. So I have this theory about race, uh, and and it's uh, it's an it's a dog analogy, and it goes like this: What's the difference between a Chihuahua and a Saint Bernard? Size wise, is there a genetic difference? Yes. Really? Well, the same species, but there's different breeds. But genetically speaking, if you looked at their DNA, would there be a differential? Whether there's differences or not, it doesn't matter. You can tell the difference. Right. What I'm saying is, just like when in humans, we are 99% of the DNA that makes you a dog. Um, we can extrapolate that to the human race, and we can say that 99% of the DNA you and I share. Yes. All I, people. I, I don't deny that. I'm just saying that there are differences amongst within groups of people. Well, you're, you're what, of German background? I don't or? know. You don't know? I really don't know. Okay, I, let's, I, let's... I suspect my one of my family members did a, 
um, one of those DNA tests, and it came back. I think it was mostly from England, Scotland, Welch in that area. But strangely enough, there was uh, <laughs> some American Indian in there, and there was also some African in there. Well, yes. Well, if you, it depends on how far you but go back. If we go way back, well, let's say five hundred thousand years ago, we are Africans. So what are you saying? That we're all African Americans? Well, we are Africans. Because Africa is a continent, by the way. And I don't want to get too far off the subject, but this yeah. is something I always found bizarre. If you're Irish American, you're called Irish American. If you're English American, you're English. I don't know that I've ever heard that one. But if you're Italian American, you're Italian. You know, yeah. you're Italian. None of those are continents. But strangely enough, Jesse Jackson decided to to come up with the phrase African-American. It used to be Afro-American, then it became African-American. That's, that's an entire damn continent. I know, but look, Larry Elder, who I really respect. Yeah, my man. I like Yeah, Larry. he's my man. I, I like Larry Elder. He preferred to call him, people to call him black Americans. or No hyphenation. Af he actually doesn't prefer a, a hyphenation. Well, he rather, black. Yeah, he, he rather people call African-Americans, black Americans. And his reasoning is this. His ancestors have been here for hundreds of years. So he's American. Well, let's say a guy from Nigeria just came over. Now that person is an African-American. So that's his distinction. Well, not necessarily. He would be Nigerian-American. Well, Africa is an entire damn continent. Co correct. We but, don't call them Euro-Americans. Yeah. And we don't call them Asian-Americans. Correct. Chinese-American, Vietnamese-American, yeah. which you are. But, you know, like Theodore Roosevelt, I don't believe in hyphenations. I don't think that correct. that does the country well. Yes. So that's the distinction. Larry Eric considered himself as a, as a black American. But here's the problem. You're white American, right? Um, I don't call myself that. I call myself American. But to play along with your silly little game, yes, sure. Yeah. So we should drop all the, the hyphenated, shouldn't we? I, I Theodore Roosevelt said that back around 1920, that there should be no such thing as a hyphenated American. Yeah. You should be an American. You should ad adopt the culture of Americanism, whatever yes. that means, hard work, freedom, I agree. free speech. Um, the list goes on and on. No, with no guarantees to cross the finish line at the same time, by the way. And that's that's a huge differentiation that we'll get into. Back to the dogs, though. What do you prefer in a dog? I like a border collie. Why? They're the most intelligent of dogs. They can be trained easily. So intelligence. You like intelligence. What else? Trained easily. Well, they look pretty nice. And you like the way they look, so the aesthetic of it. But what's wrong with the Chihuahua? Uh, they're loud. Uh, so It's tough to train a Chihuahua. So you get my point here. Maybe I'm going to kind of go to the conclusion and talk about this in uh, the initial narrative. But maybe racism, which you're a little bit loath to talk about, and I understand, isn't an ism. Maybe it's a preference. Maybe you actually prefer something over something else. C could that be a lot of what we get a little discombobulated about here in America? So it's okay for me to say I prefer a collie 
over like a chihuahua. There's nothing wrong with that, is it? Not that I'm aware of. By the way, if you're you're a racist, uh, yeah, if you're any kind of a supremacist, black, white, yellow, green, go ahead and turn this off now because we're not talking to you. We're talking to people that have an open mind, that have a liberal mind in the classic sense that want to get to the truth. Yes. The bottom line is we want to face racism and fight racism. But in order to do that, we have to know the truth about race or the differences amongst the human groups or races. Uh, I think so. But that doesn't mean that I'm I'm going to have an, anything against any one group. Yeah. So let's talk about social constructs. What is a construct? What is a social construct? Well, you often hear people say that race is a social construct, not a biological one. And I disagree with that. I think race is real. It's a, it's a biological construct because you can tell the differences. What is a, what is race? Let's stop right there. Well, why don't you answer? It's a matter of semantic. Opinion. It's a matter of semantic. You can call it group if you want to, or ethnicity. Call it whatever you want. But so the can name, race be an, uh, a synonym for ethnicity? It, it can be, yes. Well, look at the census. Yeah, good question. Why do we have a census in the first place? What are they trying to, ultimately, what is the goal with the census? Well, uh, lots of things. I mean, demographics, voting. Don't they want to know which group, you know, a certain group, you know, live in a certain area? Don't they, they, want, they want the data on that, don't they? But maybe they want data to supply taxpayer money to certain groups that they feel are disenfranchised. Yes. I mean, it's a huge, you know, demographics that they they deal with that. And I, I don't want to get into it. But bottom line is they do ask about your race. When you go go to see a doctor, don't they don't doctors ask you about your race? Yeah, and I always put in there none of your business. Well I never put it in there. I don't I refuse to answer that question. Well, I think you're not doing the the, the doctors, you know, uh, doctor has to know. Why? Why does well, the doctor have to know what my race Asian is? People what does it matter? If, well, I go to, well, if I go interview for a company, what the hell difference does it make? Well, let's say you have a certain disease. There's certain groups or race has certain, you know, tendency to have higher, let's say, rates of uh, obesity. That's That's a race thing, isn't it? But would that not be racism to say that certain elements of the well, society, uh, dispositively speaking, if you're, are inclined towards certain types of disease? If you're a doctor, you want to treat your patient. And to treat your patient, you want to know your history, your family history. I don't think that's why they're asking the question. I think they're looking. I think they've been asked by the government to find out information about your race, to figure out how many people are going to see medical professions within a certain race. I think there's this indication of, let's say, your health issue. There's, there are indicators that it goes back to your DNA. Then why don't they just simply ask that? Because if you're asking me if I'm uh, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish, for example, maybe they're trying to pin something genetically on me. But again, if I answer that question that I'm Jewish, which is never 
one of the questions they ask. It's always Hispanic, by the way. Well, and but they very rarely ask any of uh, the categories such as Jews or Chinese or Japanese or. See, you probably are more sensitive to that. I am. I I am not. I don't care. But you're ask, racist. Well, <laughs> define what racist is. I think we're going to never get to the bottom of that, but we're going to give it a damn good college try tonight. So if we go back to race, though, do you see those? We discussed this earlier in the pre-interview. We talked about phenotypes. Is that one of the markers for race, do you think? Yes. When you take your DNA test, there's certain phenotype that they classify a certain group. But prima facie, though, um, a Phenotype to me are one of the observable differences between you and me. Yeah, the that's the way I perceive a phenotype. Yeah, there's appearances amongst groups that they can actually classify. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, epicantic folds, the slanted eyes, that's an Asian trait, isn't it? But if we bring that up, is that something that people are comfortable talking well, about. Well, yes, there are Asians that are very sensitive to that. Yeah. It, it, this brings up an interesting concept. To me, what we find as being uncomfortably racist to talk about in our community of America may not be the case in Vietnam. For example, and I, <laughs> I find this really interesting, we've gone from thinking back in the 1700s, if you were 1% black, guess what you were considered? Well, that's to me is... You're black. I, I know. That's nonsense. I, it, but yeah. it, talking to you about how perceptions have changed. In yes. the 1800s, if you were Irish, if you were Jewish, if you were Italian, were you considered Caucasian? No, you were not. No. You were most absolutely were not. Yeah. And yet those have changed. And so you flash forward to today. And if you go into a restaurant, and you see a, 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 a black woman sitting there with a white man married with kids. Do you think anything about it? No, I, I could I care less. I could care less. I I truly believe in freedom of association. <clears throat> so that's where I'm getting at, that you can have differences, but you also have the right to choose. Right freedom to choose. Of, yes, freedom of asso association is, is what freedom is all about, isn't it? I don't know. Milt Freeman wrote a great book. I think it was called Free to Choose. And... Uh, Totally aside, I I do want to pull you back though, okay, and and talk to you um, about the point that we were making about uh, the what was it the uh, the the constructs. Talk to us a little more about constructs. Well, you can't say that it's race is a social construct. It has to be a biological construct. You and I look at you. Ninety percent of people out there that can that look at you and then look at me can say that that's a white guy versus, oh, he's Asian. You can't deny the fact that people can actually tell because it's a biological construct. It's not a social construct. You can't change a person's mind saying that, oh, he's not white. He looks white, therefore he's white. But the, I think the people that may be on the receiving end of that, they may say... You know, See, you're playing with your mind when you do that. What was I about to say? Well, you're about to say that it's a social construct, that you're, you're, being, you're being told to not think for yourself 
but think how people tell you what to think. That is, oh, you shouldn't call that person white. So the social construct can never relate to race. Well, they try to deny that there, there's such thing as race. Let's talk about genetic adaptations. Well, biologically, of course, we're different. I mean, Europeans have left the continent of Africa hundreds of thousands of years ago. So when they migrated north to Europe or Central Asia, you you got lighter skin and lighter hair. Asian, on the other hand, went to the Far East, and that's how we look. So there's nothing wrong with different groups migrating to different areas and adapt to a certain environment. To me, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a biological fact. You look at the animal kingdom, it's the same thing. Does that mean that we're there's one race that is better than the other? What do you mean by better? <laughs> well, certain certain physical ability, I think there's differences. Well, I don't see a lot of uh, professional basketball players that are Vietnamese. Correct. Therefore, that's where I want you to understand this. If there are differences in terms of groups or races, I think blacks are genetically better in terms of sports, certain sports, sports. But don't you, don't you see that some people would see that as just a blatantly off-the-chart racist well, remark? That's where we can't get to the bottom of, you know, of racism. Once I accept the fact that there's certain groups that can outperform a certain group, like blacks can outperform, you know, certain groups in basketball, that's an undeniable fact. But they would say, the people particularly on the left that are pushing this, they would tell you that you're prejudging. And if you prejudge, that is the essence of soft bigotry and maybe even racism to prejudge. Well, it depends on how sensitive you are to this. I'm not sensitive to it. But I'm a lot of Americans are sensitive to well, it. Well, that's the problem. We, we can't solve racism if we're so sensitive to things like this. You gotta, you gotta understand that there are differences I'm not I'm not talking about all oh, you know people are like that. It, so let's let's rephrase this. In general, blacks are better at competitive sports like basketball, football, than whites in Asian. So in in essence, what especially you're, Asians. So what you're saying is it's okay to group people by their immutable characteristics. I did not are, say that. It's not okay to group anything. Because what they would say, to bring that back around, yeah. is that that is the very definition of bigotry and prejudice to do that. How am I a bigot when I point out the differences? If I can point out the difference between a chihuahua and a dog. A chihuahua is a dog. Well, a chihuahua and a, a collie, I'm sorry. <laughs> is that bigotry? Maybe it's soft bigotry for animal lovers that have one preference. Over so you're, you're saying that we should not be allowed to point out the differences amongst the human you know, traits. I, I can tell you that one of the axioms that I believe in is that truth exposes uh, contradiction. 
Well, I think that troops can get to the bottom of racism. But what happens when you have half of America that's not interested in getting to the truth? That's why we can't get to the bottom of fighting racism. Yeah. Roll the clock back to 1916. Uh, a young lady by the name of Margaret Sanger comes now, onto the scene. Now, that is a total nut. Really? Yeah. Eugenic yeah. is is totally off the chart. I don't I don't want to deal with them. I mean, that's racist to the core. Uh, well, to let you know, the left has firmly embraced. As a matter of fact, they've given a wet kiss and a bear hug to uh, to the Margaret Singers of the world. As a matter of fact, Hillary Clinton says that I admire her greatly, and. I'm saying don't take my word for it. Just simply do a YouTube search for Margaret Singer, Hillary Clinton, and see what you come up with. And you may be a little bit shocked. It was a great privilege when I was told that I would receive this award. Uh, I admire Margaret Singer enormously. Her courage, her tenacity, her vision. Another of my great friends, Ellen Chesler, is here who wrote a magnificent biography of Margaret Sanger called Woman of Valor. And when I think about what she did all those years ago in Brooklyn, taking on archetypes, taking on attitudes and accusations flowing from all directions, I am really in awe of her. And there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from her life. And the ultimate extrapolation of eugenics and Margaret Sanger is since 1973, uh, Planned Parenthood has aborted 60 million fetuses. <clears throat> I find this number horrifying. And it's a number that I think you need to hear. 60 million fetuses have been aborted. Um, one third of that 60 million, which would be 20 million, were black babies. And the black population makes up one thirteenth of the population. Margaret Sanger intentionally put those abortion clinics in in black communities. She intentionally did that. I believe it. Well, there's no believing it. It's a fact. Yeah. It's I've, a fact. I've read I've read about her, so so and, and yet she's continually uh, embraced by the left. Continually, and her whole idea was to fix the gene pool. If you had an IQ um, from the research that I did below a certain number, she felt like your your line of genes should be removed from the pool. Yeah, eugenics. The Germans actually picked this up as well. So yeah, yeah, a good old Adolf, and I mean that sarcastically, picked that up, and and that his Aryan race, his supreme race, stole a lot of what he believed in from what the left fully embraces with a bear, big bear hug even to this day. To your right, you'll see a statue, and it's in every one of my um, videos that I do. And I nobody's ever commented on that. They never ask about it. But there are a lot of pseudosciences, a lot of quackology uh, in this world that people fully embrace. And to me, this is just uh, a, a living example of the science that people believed in at one time. And, and if you look on the statue, uh, this bust, what you find is the brain, the head. They've made markings on there. 
and according to those markings, they could determine intellect. They could in turn, they could determine um, how smart you were, whether or not you were going to be an honest person. There was like five hundred different. There was an incom complete science that was a, around um, built around it. Complete pseudoscience, total jack quackery. I mean, none of it ever existed, and that's why I put this on here because so many people are willing to believe in things such as this. There are millions of people that believe somehow or another that a star alignment can make a determination of where, you know, what's going to happen in the future with your life. Well, that's not, you know, alchemy. That's worse than uh, pseudoscience. That's that's superstition. Yeah, but they use this as an example, uh, Margaret Sanger and her crowd, because this ideology came out in around 1840. And a lot of what Margaret Sanger uh, believed in evolved around phonology. Yeah. Total well, quackery. Well, having said that, race is one thing. I think culture is a different thing. I mean, there's, I have. What's culture? Well, culture, you and I, I think, have a more in common when it, when it comes to culture than, than race. I mean, you're, you're the white European race. I'm the Asian guy. But because we have values that are similar, I think that makes us more in common than our differences. But what happens when you come, and there's been 55 million Americans the last time I saw that have come to America that were not born here. And a lot of those people have not adult, uh, adopted the uh, American culture. What kind of problem does that set up? Well, back to my rule, the faster you assimilate, the quicker you assimilate, the better off you will be. A lot of people have come to America and have totally ignored that. Well, that's where there will be conflict. History is about conflict of cultures. Look at history. Every time there's two groups of people, different cultures, you're going to have conflicts. So if there's no conflict, they can't do anything. Yeah. It's sort of like the news, the media. If there's no, there's nothing out there. There's no excitement. There's no news. They be, they be unemployed. Hmm. It looks to me like a de-evolution of society, in order to maybe push. Uh, if I could throw in the word Marxist goal at this point. Yes, of course. I think that's the end game. And in order for Marxism to be important or relevant, they have to break down all the social constructs. And you have to find a disenfranchised group or race or culture, whatever you, you can find. So there's constantly on the move to find a different dif disenfranchised group of which you became disqualified last month, by the way. I don't know if you oh, heard yes, about that. We did, we did talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So by definition, they can, when I say they, the left can actually change which groups are disenfranchised overnight. So where's this all going? I mean, well, what, what is the ultimate extrapolation to society? What, what does it mean to civilization and society? Well, we have reached a point where we, we, have, become, we have become so divided as Americans that we can't look at similarities anymore. We should reverse that. Instead of diversity and inclusion and equity, we should look at assimilation. Go back to our common values. You and I should have common values that we can get together and overlook our differences, whether it's politics, physical differences, or sexual belief. 
a lot of these people are nihilists, though, and they are trying to destroy. And they will tell you that I represent, strangely enough, 250 years later, my parents came here after, but they will say that I represent the original sin. So therefore, I must beg for forgiveness from society, and I must do penance. Well, by having two groups, one group is the victim, the other group is the oppressor, which I, apparently you all... I was you, the oppressor, apparently, even though I had nothing yeah. to do with it. I think it's not going to get anything. It's not going to resolve to anything. Uh, that further divides. There is no way that the the majority of white people is going to give up their values to the left. A lot of people have, though, done that already. They've given up. You can see that. You can see... Uh, because you're seeing a big fracture, particularly with this election, that was so thinly decided by such a small number of people. But for how long? I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how long can liberals actually say, oh, I'm going to kneel... You know, to be a male, I'm going to repent. I'm going to feel ashamed because of my whiteness. They do it all the time. Yeah. But how long is that going to continue? I'd say it's been going on since the 60s. Are you uh, willing to give up your house, your income? Well, now that that's a great point. And, and this is the thing that I always find interesting about these folks that are, um, that are so, uh, wants to tell everybody how moral and virtuous they are. But then you ask them. Okay, well, who have you gone over to the east side of Dallas invited to come live in your house or fed them? Or, well, you know, I give money to the government and or through my church or whatever. But you personally, what have you ever done to change somebody else's life? And maybe some people can give good answers to it. But uh, a lot of times when I look around where I live, I don't I don't see uh, homeless people coming in and out of their house at all. So virtue, virtue signaling ends. And what else begin? All right, you tell me. You're on roll. <laughs> so I think it, it's not gonna it's gonna it's not gonna help if you keep dividing America into groups. Uh whether class. Yeah. Let's be real though. I mean, people like Al Sharp Sharpton and Jesse Jack, Jackson, um, they made a lot of money well, there's off a, of dividing there's money in the race industry, yes. I mean, if I really want to profit from the industry, I can do it. I can claim that the NBA is systemically racist against Asian. How about Robin D'Angelo? How much does she make off of white fragility? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's always room to point out problems. I can't, I can't see anyone out there that is trying to fix this. Get to the bottom of the truth. Have us see each other as Americans rather than different races, different cultures. We'll come together as, you know, one common people. Yeah. To me, it's taken, historically, it's taken major conflicts to bring peoples together. Uh, World War II finally started bringing all races together. Um, I would say that uh, the Civil War, to some extent, brought races together. It, and maybe that's what is going to happen in the future is major conflict. Well, we have come a long way to get to this point. And recently, I think within a, 
a decade, things have become more divisive. But there's no guarantee that society is going to perpetuate and continue to perpetuate itself. I mean, the Romans, after a thousand years, they went into steep decline. We've been here for a quarter of that. And I'm I'm seeing phenomenal declines. I mean, American economy, thank heavens, is very robust. And it's able to overcome them. It almost seems like doesn't matter who's president. As, as long as businesses can prevail and capitalists can prevail, the, the country seems to heal itself. Well, let's get back to this issue of race. One, certain groups are less sensitive to another group when it comes to race. Don't you agree? For sure. Yeah. So, And, and even more for sure by country. Yes, of course. Well, let's focus here in America. Overseas, race is a different topic. In Vietnam, how there how is, much did you guys talk about there race? Is no, I mean, you were 10 when you left. But yeah, you, but from what I know from Vietnam, there is no such word as race or racism. You can't define it. But did because they, they, see, did, they, they don't have that conflict where we have here in America. So to explain to them what racism is, that's a whole different uh, view. How do the Vietnamese think of the Hmong, for example? Well, originally, yeah. they they consider savages, just like we consider American Indians as savages. And there's actually a word for that, savage. So that's how they were considered? Yes. But were they original to Vietnam? They They were mountain people. So they live in the mountains. And another thing I find incredibly interesting as we talk about race is if you go to China or Japan, what percentage of the population is rather ethnically pure, and particularly in China and Japan? What China, not so much. Japan is 99.9% .9 homogenous. That's phenomenal, even to this day. Yes. Why is that? They're an island people. So They haven't been invaded the Mongols invaded them, but was unsuccessful. They would never conquer until the the Americans came. So, because they were so isolated, yes. that's what kept them ethnically correct, pure. I guess you would say yes. And so, the, but the Chinese are a little more diverse. But I, I've heard that they're like ninety five percent. Well, the ninety five percent Han Chinese. But remember, what's Han Chinese? You have the Mongols that invaded them, that ruled them for hundreds of years. And you have the Manchus that invaded them. The Manchurians. Yes, yeah. that invaded them and ruled them for hundreds of years. And you have the Turks that came. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, the, the Turks invaded uh, from the west. There's Turco-Mongols that invaded. And you have uh, the Tibetans that ruled part of China for a long time. They're kind of on the outs these days, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, and certain Chinese, I mean, they, they're not really Chinese. Oh. The ethnic, you know, what a big swirling. China is a is it's a huge country that yeah. goes back to four thousand years of you know different groups of people, uh, but mainly yes, the Han Chinese still are the most populous. Yes, well, I think this is a very interesting uh, topic. Hopefully, we've been somewhat enlightening. We've started a conversation. Um, I think. Personally, that's how you resolve issues between people is by talking about it. And ignoring it is rarely a good thing. 
thankfully our founding fathers understood the value of free speech, which means a lot of times you may not like what I'm saying. And you may feel a temptation to call that hate speech or try to uh, give it a label. But the reality of it is that process, that mechanism of free speech is what makes us free as human beings. And it prevents ultimately uh, the ultimate conflict, which is revenge, which uh, hubris uh, always precedes um, nemesis and yes. our pride comes before the fall. I agree. So First Amendment, very important. This republic would never be a republic right. if the First Amendment does not exist. The First Amendment is about offensive speech. If it's not offensive speech, then it's not, you know, uh, freedom of speech. Should your sensitivity override my offensive speech? I don't think so. Nathan Tan, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait till we do the next episode. Have we thought about what we're going to talk about? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about the new religion of the left. Whoa. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Uh, this should be up this coming Friday. I appreciate you listening to us. As always, like us, follow us, comment on us, give us ideas how to make the show better. Uh, going off the air is not one of the options. <laughs> And uh, subscribe, hit the little bell when it pops up. Appreciate you listening to us. Have yourself a great day. 